All right, everyone. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Fan Fuel Podcast. This is episode 22, and we will have a fan spotlight on Kevin from Virginia today. Uh, but first, I do want to go ahead and say I have had an upper respiratory infection this week. I am feeling kind of groggy. I uh, have a really scratchy throat, and you'll probably uh, see me um, blow my nose, and I'm going to do my best to mute myself if if we have uh, any troubles with me coughing or anything. So um, I just want to forewarn you for that. Uh, thank you for being here, and uh, we're going to go ahead and start off tonight with our picks. So, Nathan, I'll let you take that away. Yeah, um, our picks were kind of interesting. We did them a little differently than we normally do because of the doubleheader. So it looks like we did them based off of the lowest average finish was the winner. So it looks like Alex got the win. Um, Hamlin finished fourth on Saturday, and then his other pick won on Sunday. So he's got four points. I took Kyle Larson on Saturday and Kevin Harvick on Sunday, so I got two points. And then Colton took Blaney and Dylan, and he got one point. So – I think Colton's going to get our first pick. So who you got for America? Um, man, this is going to be kind of a tough one, um, but I am going to go Chase Elliott. Um, lights out on road courses. Uh, he was super good at Coda when we went there earlier this year, so I think the new road courses are kind of right up his alley. Chase Elliott's your winner this weekend. All right, Alex. Oh, hey, for, uh, actually, I, th- I think you'd be next because I won. So. Oh, shoot. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I guess just because I'm sick doesn't mean I'm weak. Right. I saw me. I thought we were going down. I was like, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but if I'm going to be put on the spot right now, I'm probably going to have to go with the other low-hanging fruit, and that's Truex. So he's in a patriotic paint scheme, and one of the last times he won in a patriotic paint scheme was on that paint scheme's debut, and he's in a brand-new paint scheme. And he happens to be very good on road courses, so why not him? Well, if we're going to just keep – Picking hello hanging fruits. Larson has gotten me some uh, pretty good points these last few weeks, so I guess I'll continue with him. Um, so with that being said, uh, we got picks out of the way. I do want to go ahead and welcome our second live guest, and that is Kevin from Virginia. You probably heard from him uh, either via Twitter or via uh, SiriusXM Satellite Radio Channel 90. Uh, that's the NASCAR station, and I'm sure most of you have heard him because he seems to go about uh, answering questions on every one of their shows. So here we are. Welcome to the show, Kevin from Virginia. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. All right, Kevin. So um, we kind of want to introduce you. I mean, I know you're a lot more popular than we are when it comes to to followers on Twitter, but we do kind of want to introduce you um, to people who may not know exactly who you are. So, I do want to kind of go and look at your Twitter bio, and it and it's got a lot of stuff in it, and it and I think it it it's a good bio because you know people tend to um, to say some pretty um, I guess generic things, but when it comes to yours, I mean, it starts off with you're a comic book and wrestling enthusiast, an animal lover, and you love and embrace NASCAR amongst some other things. But I mean, we're here to kind of see what you're all about, not just the NASCAR side. So. When it comes to stuff like the comic book and wrestling, you know, what are your passions outside of NASCAR? Well, I, I do collect comic books. I've been collecting comic books since I was probably eight years old. Um, my uncle used to buy them from the local 7-Eleven, and I've been collecting comic Because in the rural area, we only had about three or four channels, and then I became a 
the household on a Saturday evening, so I've always uh, enjoyed the old type of player and, um, you know, they were Savage and Dusty Rhodes, stuff like that. So I've always been a wrestling fan. I watch it now. got a little bit out of its element right now, but I, I really like the old school. Yeah, you said a lot of names there, and uh, one of the – one of the ones I, I kind of remember, uh, Steve Burns, way back when, in one of the uh, Budweiser shootout uh, things on speed, I believe. And that was Ric Flair. Uh, you know, I'm not going to do it right now because I'm sick. I'll start a coffee fit. But, you know, so I think we can all attest to, to old wrestling being a lot better than new wrestling, kind of like what you said. I don't think that any of any of the guys that I know have followed it since they were, you know, five or six years old. And, you know, that's 20 years ago for me now. So. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but, yeah, so uh, other than that, uh, you know, you say you know, you're an animal lover and you embrace and love NASCAR, which we all we all know you embrace and love NASCAR. You're all over uh, Twitter and all over uh, SiriusXM. You're always putting out positive vibes. Um, you know, we were trying to set this up for a little bit, and um, – it kind of took a little a little bit for, for us to get you on here, and that's because uh, you've been training for your job. So I kind of wanted to kind of help other people kind of get insight into what you do, because how are you always having time to be on these shows? And 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 uh, and what, what exactly were you training these guys for these past couple of weeks? Well, I, I drive for a local uh, asphalt company and, and what they do. Okay. So most of the trucks I do drive are 2000 it up so they do have bluetooth capabilities and i'm always streaming xm on my you know on my phone so i do have the ability most of the job sites i go to once i'm there i might be sitting there for an hour or two so um you know as the time allows i'll chime in uh, if i have something to say or, or add to the conversation i i try to call with something to say you know i want to if I do ask a question, I want to be something meaningful, something insightful, something to make them think, you know. And uh, my job entitles that I'm a truck driver, so I've been on my job for 22 years. So when new employees come on the job, I'm usually the one training them. Uh, and so um, this week, is last two or three weeks have been kind of difficult to even call in because uh, I'm trying to concentrate on my driver. So I do have the time to, to tweet but not call in, but... Um, I do miss interacting with some of the hosts like Larry Mack and Mike Bagley and Daniel Trotter and something like that. But, uh, you know, I, I, my job does uh, is very important. So I want to make sure that the guys that I do train are getting the full experience on my job because we do interact with the high on the highways a lot. And with the motor and public and CDL holder, I try to make sure anybody that's riding with me knows all aspects of the tasks are expected of them. Yeah. And that's really, um, uh, something that should be respected that you you go that far, um, especially like you said, working out on highways and stuff because that's not only dangerous for your guys, but it's dangerous for us driving alongside. And um, something um, that you said you love talking and you love interacting with the guys like Larry Mack and Daniel Trotta and, and Dave Moody and those guys. Well, um. My, myself, I've been listening to SiriusXM for quite a while. Uh, I've listened to you, I don't know how many times. My dad talks about, you know, he's got SiriusXM always talking uh, about, um, you know, just, you know, 
what's going on and what Kevin from Virginia said. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and so something else that your Twitter bio says that I think really encompasses you is it says uh, that you're a friend to everyone. And, you know, after listening to you uh, say stuff about just anything, even today with your tweets uh, about the track house news, like it seems like whatever you do, you put a positive light onto it, even if it's the most controversial thing uh, in NASCAR that I can think of. You're always putting a positive light onto it. So I, I kind of want to let you know that I appreciate that. And uh, I kind of want to ask what makes you so positive? Well, to me, this world can be mean at times. And I don't feel the need to add to any more negativity. I mean, I've had some things happen in my life, like the loss of my mother and, and, and watching her slowly die from cancer and things like that. My wife has had you know, miscarriages and things like that. And when you, life is so short and it's, it's no use in holding in hatred or anger or negativity, no matter what's going on in life, I can find something uh, positive about it. I mean, yeah, there are some times when I'm down, but we don't think about either going to that next race or calling in and interacting or meeting people at the track. That's what brings me life. And I feel if I could bring some joy to some people in their lives and make them think and make them appreciate what they have, I've done my part. I, I, I want to leave some kind of legacy. I'm not the most handsomest guy. Now I'm not the most smartest guy. But if I can leave a legacy of positivity, people can pay it forward. That's all I want in life. Well, man, I can tell you what, you, you put a smile on a lot of people's faces uh, day in and day out. I know um, when I'm listening to Sirius XM, I'm one of them. Um, but it's not just us. It's not just the layman and stuff like that. You've, you've, you've embedded yourself into the culture that is a NASCAR fandom so much that you've got these analysts that you speak of, but also the drivers that – that have interacted with you and, and they seem to have positive light when coming out. So I kind of want to ask you about that. I know you go to a lot of races. I know you talk to these people um, um, that are uh, these analysts on, on the radio. What has been your best interaction so far with a driver or with a, um, with someone like a Larry Mack um, and what's been the most memorable for you? Well, I, this has been a couple of guys, um, Jeremy Clements, for example, um, I think he was the one that really kicked it off because I guess he noticed me at the tracks, especially down in Richmond at the um, driver's intro where the drivers walk in for the um, driver's crew chief meeting. And I would chat with all the guys, any of them. It doesn't matter if they're driving for Junior Motorsports or, or driving for um, BJ McLeod. I'll talk to anybody, and I just appreciate them. And they've, I guess they recognize me because I pretty stand out. I'm not a small guy. And plus, you know, a lot of people recognize me, my, my voice like that and he mentioned me in a tweet and that pretty much started off the XM radio you know chatting and stuff like that. I used to go you know play by play for my race days and another interaction I had was uh my first hot pass was uh I saw Justin Allgaier leaning against the fence and I was just taking pictures of the track of him inside the pit and he said hey man um you know don't just take a picture of me come on and, and take a stand by and take a picture I didn't want to bother my I, I have this thing I guess it's a a nervous tick, I guess. I don't like yeah. to the drivers mm -hmm. when they're busy because I don't know if they're having obligations for sponsors or driver responsibilities. So I try to be respectful of their time. And if I do interact with them, I have a camera ready and my Sharpie ready. And I, they seem to appreciate me 
you know, having everything ready and chatting them up and talking to them no matter what's going on in their life. Because I treat them as, as human beings. That's what they right. are. I mean, I could right. not imagine myself getting in the car, but, you know, sometimes you hear about a fan having a bad action. And the first thing they do, they go on Twitter or they go on Twitter and say, well, let's drive here and bother. But they don't forgot to tell them that maybe they stay 10 to 15 minutes later at a fan invitation or function. And they, they got to go, you know, or they'll lose their qualifying yeah. spot. You know, I, I think about things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely something that um, I've had the pleasure of doing, uh, having pit and garage passes uh, in Atlanta over the past few years, prior to the COVID thing, of course. Um, if, if you want to talk to these people, uh, talk to them as people. They're not race car drivers. You can insert yourself into a racing conversation but if you talk to them as people, they will become what is a more approachable person. And like you said, you know, when I was when I was younger, I was always scared to talk to to talk to a driver because they're some superstar. And while they are a superstar, like you said, they're a regular person. And and some of the some of the best conversations I've had is, is with people just, you know, shooting the you know, shooting the crap with them just, just on other stuff. I mean, I talked to Matt DiBenedetto before uh, while he was in the 83 car for probably 15 or 20 minutes about nothing to do with racing. And it was probably one of the best fan interactions that, that I've ever had. So I can, I can tell you that um, the, from my perspective, what you're saying is, is drivers respect you as long as you respect them. And, and it's really good that you don't come in there and, and act negatively like you said, you know, you see some of these people do. They just have some sort of expectation like the, we pay them or something because we're the fans. And we deserve more. I don't know. And some people are just crazy. <clears throat> yeah, um, I, no, I, go ahead. I find that if you don't go into it with an expectation this race, I'm going to meet someone. I find out if you plan your race day, be prepared. Be polite, be respectful of others. A lot of times, they're they're willing to go that extra mile for the fans, you know. Absolutely. I think sometimes mm-hmm. you, I mean, we have smartphones, but a lot of stuff is going on. But you just have to plan your race day. You might not can beat meet driver A. Maybe you want to meet driver B and get to know him. Because there was times when I could have met a Kyle Busch or a Joel Logano, but I've talked to the Joy Gases, the, um, you know, at, when they was in lower series, the, the Noah Gregsons, the Cole Custers, when they were starting to come up. Absolutely. Got him. I, I remember mm-hmm. I met Ross Chassain a couple of times. He, you know, he's met me a couple of times and always acknowledged my presence. You know, I, I was shocked, you know, and, 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 you know, my daughters were shocked at the same time, you know, that some of the drivers know me by my name. Cause I have, I guess I have a unique voice and, and the body bill, so they can pretty much stand out in the crowd. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you you um, you have that distinct voice, like you said. So, sorry, throat keeps getting dry. Um, but I mean, how how does that how does that notoriety that's come from you, you know, getting getting involved with 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 Twitter and with uh, SiriusXM Radio? How has that, I mean, lifted you up, you know, with not only the drivers, but now fan interactions? I know you've spoken to my dad. You might not remember or not, but he's told me that you guys have connected. At, at, uh, I don't remember what. I Maybe it was a Bristol race or something. Um, but um, people just, random guys like us who just come up to you and say, hey, you're Kevin from Virginia. 
Like, let's talk about whatever. I mean, how does that how does that make you? At, at first, I, I didn't know it because I, a lot of times people would recognize my voice in passing and didn't know what I looked like. So it was kind of strange when me and my wife would be talking somewhere. Somebody would ask to want to take a picture of me, you know. If you're not a, a fan of Twitter or CSXM, you wouldn't even know who I am. But, right. you know, it, it made me feel good to recognize me for not how much either my money I make or anything like that. This is recognized for me and for my comments. And you'd be surprised how many people direct message me and just want to chat. Or or, or we. Sh I like to share some of my life stories because... I'm pretty sure some things people might be going through the same thing I have gone through. And um, I think we support each other as a community. It doesn't matter black, white, what race, gender, preference, or religious, or politics. We can all find a common ground at the racetrack. And I feel that racetrack is a, is a bonding area for fandom. Oh, absolutely. And mm -hmm. uh, they say it all, all the time. NASCAR fans are the best fans. You want to kick it with somebody who hates the driver that you root for? That's that's what you can do here. You can't go to a Florida game and and versus the Georgia Bulldogs and get the same sort of, you know, um, fan to fan interaction with a guy that's wearing blue and a guy that's wearing orange, uh, or excuse me, green, red. I don't know. I haven't watched college football in years. Excuse me for my terrible metaphors, but that's like, you know, if I if I can't stand Ryan Blaney. Uh, being being the uh, Denny Hamlin fan that I am, <laughs> me and Colton can still go, you know, grab some beers or grill out and, and do that kind of stuff. So it's it's truly an amazing fan base, and and um, it's pretty cool that you're one of the guys that kind of can collectively bring some of us together. Um, because, um, like you said, people just may not recognize who you are because you know maybe they envision someone else. Even myself listening to. To podcasts like Door Bumper Clear, I had this whole vision of what those three guys look like, and I see pictures of them. And I'm like, "Who the hell are these guys?" So yeah. they'll probably have the same little mental image in the back of their mind. That this is what Kevin from Virginia looks like, and then they come and see you, and you're like, "Huh, that's Kevin from Virginia." <laughs> I guess, but sometimes, and and I hate to even bring this up because I don't I don't like, but uh, a lot of times people surprise at my race, which is fine, you know. I just that um my personality transcends race to me and, and and my expectations of people because for me I pull from everything. When I was in school, I always had a group of friends from the guys that used to ride the skateboards, guys that heavy metal. I was in the back of the bus listening to Guns N' Roses. I just gravitate towards people because I, I pick a little bit of from everything and I enjoy enjoy company of people because when you really boil down the essence of people, we all people trying to support our families, trying to make a little day to day and wake up in the morning if God willingly and just enjoy the day. Absolutely. And um I I know you you said you didn't really want to bring that into it, but I, I can say probably a lot of people don't expect a black man to be a NASCAR fan. You know, it's it's usually that redneck sport that that you know that maybe that white trash honky that's that's chugging beers and watching cars turn left. But you know, we have a really sophisticated fan base. Um, I mean, Nathan, he's uh, Asian American. Um, mm -hmm. My fiance is 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 Mexican and American dual citizen, and uh, her and her family watch the races they have for quite some time. You know, we've got people of other colors and, like you said, races, uh, religions, and 
and uh, thought processes with politics and all stuff like that. So I, I, I know you didn't want to bring it up, but I appreciate you doing that because, you know, we're just this homogenous like family when it comes to being race fans. And sometimes you get online and you see stuff uh, specifically in the last year or so towards a certain driver or two. Um, and you just kind of get discouraged, but those aren't really the guys that we, we call ourselves as NASCAR fan base. Those guys are, are people, you know, we want to, we might want to educate them, but we don't really want to, you know, be put in the same bucket as. Yeah. It, it, it was challenging at first because of, a stereotypes when I went to my first race in Richmond. Um, I was kind of hesitant at first, it was around 2010, but uh, I encountered some fans afterward that you know, it, and I, I'm not, I'm blunt, they was using the N word towards me. But this group of young Caucasian girls found me, escorted me to my vehicle, and said, Hey, don't let anybody discourage you coming to the race, come back again. And I've never missed a race in Richmond since 2010 because. I just appreciate the effort they went. They they didn't know me from Adam, but they went out their way to make me feel comfortable. And that's what one of the parts I do is because show people that you can come to the racetrack. And a lot of people have been enticed to come to the racetrack because they see my pictures, they see my Twitter posts, and I've even talked to people. I mean, I'm not going to mention their names, but some people have had questions. And I'm, I'm glad to be frank with them and honest about my experiences. And they appreciate that because a lot of times, Unless you've been to the track in the last couple of years, you don't know what kind of changes the sport has been through. And if I have any part of making somebody's race day wonderful and informing them or, or giving them ideas on how to plan a race day, they're more than welcome to um to contact me. I always keep my DMs open on Facebook or, and on Twitter. Anybody's able. I've even had – I gave them my personal phone number. We chatted over some things, you know, that they had questions about. Man, I, I just enjoy the fact that you're such a positive and friendly guy. It really it really sits with me uh, differently than, than and even a lot of, of people in the fan base. Uh, you're like that next level, and I really appreciate that. Um, I do want to go ahead and say anyone who's listening uh, on the Periscope or on the YouTube, uh, if you guys want to uh, comment anything that we uh, want you want to be asked of Kevin while we still got him on, um, go ahead and do that. I see some of our uh, some of our uh, comments have already come in. I got uh, Jared Pakaisa we had last week uh, commented Goat Squad, and then um, Cheyenne, yeah, who's uh, Colton's uh, girlfriend or more. I'm not I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, says who doesn't like the twelve? But I mean, you should know better. I'm picking on Colton when I said when I don't like Ryan Blaney. Um, but moving on, uh, Kevin. Um, We'll let you know if, if, if I get any comments from anyone else who wants to know anything. Um, I do want to move on to the actual racing part now. So you've been to quite a few races. You've been to Richmond. I've seen pictures at other racetracks and stuff. What has been your favorite race? Uh, and what is your favorite, I guess, racetrack amenities-wise? Well, I guess my favorite race was uh, Martinsville. I think it was around 2017. Um, it was the incident where... Actually, Chase Elliott and Andy Hamlin got together, and Kyle Busch ended up winning uh, that race. Uh, that was my wife's first cup race there, and uh, she's a big Kyle Busch fan, so she was happy. And uh, just seeing some of the fireworks afterwards, you know, I've never had experienced anything like that with so many 
had support for Chase Elliott and so much anger towards Denny Hamlin. I just was uh, never had experienced anything like that. So that was a pretty much night over there. Plus, it was the first time we was at Martinsville that late. So we really got to see the sparks fly in Martinsville that night. Yeah, and that's something uh, interesting because that that was a part of history um, that uh, I think Nathan and I might want to forget. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to forget it now. I'm fine now. <laughs> okay. It's pretty fun um, to watch, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, we're big Denny Hamlin fans. Um, as someone who's never been to a NASCAR short track, um, how is that different from one of the bigger tracks when you're in person? I guess because you, it's so intimate when you're sitting in the grandstands and you can actually – Feel the cars going around, and and at night when it's dark, like there, I know they haven't had too many night races. It's almost like you're watching a disco with the lights bounce off. It's a di different atmosphere because you almost feel like you're right down there, eye level with the cars, and can see such the uh, the action. You know, it's plus it's the old school looking track. They don't have a fancy garage. They still got to open up the side door, let the haulers in, and get set up. And it's just a an intimate track. I mean, I love all the short tracks on um, Richmond, my home track, and Bristol. I've I've been fortunate to hit all three of them within a year time. So I, I love my Virginia tracks. Well, I could say that that's probably a, a, a given, considering you are Kevin from Virginia. Uh, not to not to put a pun on that, but um, if, if you had to do uh, a full circuit, you know Daytona. To well, I was going to say Daytona to Phoenix uh, or Daytona to Homestead, but now it's Daytona to Phoenix. I mean, uh, what is what is your favorite track in NASCAR overall, all three series? I, I got I got to say Daytona because it's a super sweetway. Plus, it's so much history there. Plus, it starts off the season pretty much, and um, you know you've had some there by drivers and all of that. In the, in the meaning of success, you've had some. Tragedies, you know, like the losing of Dale Earnhardt Sr., and it's just a historic track. I haven't been there yet, but I, I want to make it my one of my bucket list tracks to go to the Daytona. All right, thanks, Cheyenne, for that uh, that question. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those tracks you got to go to. Uh, I've not Absolutely. been to an NASCAR event there. I have I've only been to see the Rolex, and it was an astonishing just stadium atmosphere, which you don't get at, at many other tracks. Um, uh, with that with that being said, a couple of my last questions before I give it to Nathan and Colton. Um, do you watch any other motorsports or support your local racing? Given time, I try to watch IndyCar as much as possible. I, I did watch the Indy 500, and I thought, um, you know, the winner, I thought he really was uh, – seeing his uh, – I thought it was fantastic now seeing him in the SRX series, you know, trying to, you know, conquer the dirt. It's been pretty fantastic to see. I, I do go to my local tracks as much as possible. Given my work schedule, sometimes on weekends it's kind of hard, but I do like going to Langley uh, Speedway up in Hampton, Virginia. Okay. We do have a dirt track five minutes down the road, uh, Virginia Speedway, where I went this year um, to just spring. I, I got to meet, um, you know, R R Rico Abreu and, um, you know, chatted oh, cool. with MRN. And um, that was a real good dime down there. Plus, I had some, uh, met some people that Freddie Kraft um, recommended me to meet. So I met some of his uh, friends that were actually from Connecticut down there racing uh, over the season. Plus, Tony Stewart was there. I didn't get to meet him because, uh, as you can imagine, the 
crowd around him. I didn't want to bother him. Yeah, um, and short track racing is a, is a really good place, uh, especially just because of the cheap, cheapness of it to, to get to some of those local drivers. Um, so I've, I've never actually gotten to see the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars or 410 Sprint uh, at all, so I'm kind of jealous that you got to see some sprint car racing. I haven't had that uh, ability. The post I've seen are the, uh, the 360 sprints. Um, another question I have is um, – if you could change the sport of NASCAR, uh, in what way would you? If I could change it, I, I would. I wish. I wish I could have at least the ability for more fans to maybe see some of the races that are not on the cable channels, you know, FX or sport channels. I think if you had for the mainstream channels maybe more people can watch i know a lot of people can't afford all the packages where some people might have the nbc sports package and can see some of the races like the up right now but if you don't have that package you really can't see and it all depends on what rural area where you live in where you can have access to certain tv because i think if we get more of the mainstream product on some of the regular channels i think we could grow the sport even more Absolutely. I think uh, Nathan and Colton can attest to that statement um, yeah. as as being true. That's something that we've talked about, especially lately uh, with the SRX series that you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. They've been on CBS for three weeks now, um, steadily getting over a million viewers. And uh, um, with that, I kind of want to open up uh, to Nathan and Colton, kind of get this uh, conversation going where it's not just me and Kevin. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but with that, I mean, what do you guys want to add to that comment? I mean, bringing more network TV shows, is that something you guys would agree would, would help them support? I'm all for it because I think a lot of people will come up to me and say, hey, you know, where do you watch these races and stuff? Because most people know me as, hey, this, this kid loves racing. They kind of ask me about that and they see me wearing stuff like that. So I think it's a lot easier if they can go and find the race on TV because like you said, they're not always there for some people. Um, it's really weird because I know – my mom in particular, I remember when I was like a little kid, I was like, mom, we need to have these channels on TV. You know, we moved and I was thinking about that. And it's like, you know, that's a real hindrance to people that don't have that ability. Um, I never thought about it until I got older. So I think now I can look back and say, yeah, we need to get these races on network TV. Yeah, that's a big thing, getting them on network TV, um, help grow the audience again. Um, if you look back at the prime of the sport, um, the races were only on the prime channels. It wasn't until the last five or so years that they started moving around um, to kind of these secondary special package networks. Um, one thing I've been a huge advocate for in the last couple of years is just a NASCAR streaming service where you can pay 10 bucks a month and you can get access to everything. Um, I think there's a lot of people that would do that, especially if you throw in the first month free or three months free, like a lot of these streaming services do. Um, because you say, you know, a lot of my buddies will probably sign up for a, a free trial and check out a couple races and then decide, oh, this this ain't too bad. In that way, you don't have to pay for the cable package and anything like that. Um, so that's one thing I've been big on. But, yeah, we need to find a way to get these races broadcast to a bigger audience and not just on these select kind of smaller market channels. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, you got Yeah, the only thing I wanted to say is because we still have a lot of older fans that are on the fence about all the changes in the sport. And right. I think you can watch it more than just that word of mouth. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I enjoy 
can get it on, you know, the radio or Sirius XM, but I still like the visual aspect of the product, especially now with all these different camera angles, the inside the car can on the ground. I think it's such visually stunning and being at the track, it, I think it entices you to be at the track once you see the uh, product because I think it could benefit both. Yeah, and one thing uh, that I can say uh, about that just in general, I mean, yeah, like you guys have said, we need to have more eyes on it and it's easier if you don't have it on these premium cable channels like NBCSN and Fox Sports 1. Mm -hmm. Something that you just hit on, Kevin, is having eyeballs at the track. Um, I think in order to grow the sport a little bit, it's going to be on the track promoters, getting the word out and cheapening um, the tickets so that we can get more people at the track because there's no better way to make a race fan than to see a race car going full speed in front of them. Yeah. And I think, too, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, be a bandwagon to promote something, but a lot of the fans just check into their local NASCAR track because a lot of them have fan councils and that way you can add input to the track of what's going on. I found my fan at Richmond and, and you know, we always have many ideas. Me and my wife always bringing up ideas on how to, because uh, sometimes you can borrow from something local add it to a track. You know, track, some of the tracks now are starting to bring more to local guys in for Q&As or former NASCAR drivers that live in that area. I think if they interact with them, they can also grow the sport because not only are you appealing to the old fan, but you can get that new fan that maybe can ask about the good old days. Oh, absolutely. That sounds like a good way. Um, I know we've had people like uh, coming to our local tracks. Like you said, you saw Rico Abreu and uh, you know Kyle Larson goes and goes to these smaller tracks, but then had guys like Jeremy Mayfield and that that sort of person go to a local short track around the NASCAR track that they're racing at this that weekend, and I think I think that's a good a good way to get get fans into it as well because the more access we always quote each other, you know, saying that NASCAR has the best fan access, but I think that's waned off in the years even prior to COVID. You know, <clears throat> you go on an NHRA VIP, every ticket's a garage pass. So I think we need to re-access our fans so that we can do what Kevin said, um, and that's that's kind of, I guess, create a bond between the fans and the industry. Because I think too, um, I think a lot of it has to do, and I'm not trying to say anything negative about a certain fans base or nothing, but there have been some times where I wish nasty reaction to a driver, and if they feel threatened or they need more security, they're not even going to bother to put themselves in, in um, arms away from the fan if they feel threatened, because I've seen things thrown at a driver, I've seen insults hurled, so that wouldn't even say to my own, you know, group of friends. Yeah, and and it's not just one certain driver, I think we all know there's one that looms with a certain subgroup of quote-unquote fans, but I mean, you see that kind of stuff being thrown out at a Kyle Busch or Joe Logano, I mean, I'm not going right. to say I haven't booed drivers and driver introductions or when they're on the back of those pickups before uh, the races because, you know, you're into it. Sometimes maybe you're into it with a little bit of alcohol or maybe you're not. Um, maybe you just have a disdain from a driver that did something to your driver last week. doesn't matter. But there's a difference between booing somebody and, and, and throwing beer cans at, at someone after they won a race 
or or something like that. Because I, I remember when that happened a couple of years ago um, at, at Talladega, and I don't remember if it was the Kevin Harvick um, race that that Logano won. Um, you know where Kevin Harvick did all those spins or anything, but I mean that was throwing beers from the top of the 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 tower and, and hitting hitting fans in front of them rather than getting on the track. And that's just we don't want to want to see that <clears throat> in our sport. So yeah, definitely we. I can I can tell what you're saying. If it, if it's happening in the grandstands, it probably happens with some nasty fans who somehow got pit access. So I can see how some drivers wouldn't want to be out there in the brunt of it because they're more of a disliked person wearing that black hat like a Kyle Busch or, or a Kevin Harvey. Um, that being said, Colton, Nathan, do you guys have any questions for, oh, for Kevin? Um, yeah, I do have one. It's kind of one that I asked all the people on here, and it's a really basic question. So um, with all that being said, I was going to ask you, um, what's the best race you've ever watched, whether in person or TV, just your whole time as a fan? I guess the – the one that I really, I, I don't have a favorite driver, but I was, I was really intrigued by Chicago with Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch going door to door and coming to the finish mm -hmm. line. Kyle Busch getting that win. I, I thought the respect he paid to Kyle Larson afterwards was really good for the sport. It wasn't no anger. It was just hard racing. And I, I didn't know what the outcome was. I thought they was going to end up wrecking both of each other, but they managed to, um, you know, finish the race whole. And uh, I thought that was a Good visual Chicago land that day. Yeah, I think that's well, a really good answer. The, yeah, we got one of the best quotes in NASCAR history. If you don't like mm -hmm. that kind of racing, you don't need to watch. <laughs> so, what about you, Colton? Um. Yeah. Um. What is the favorite? Your favorite piece of memorabilia or merchandise that you own? All right. I don't, like I said, I'm not a, a, a big collector of things, but I, when I went to my first Darlington uh, race, I went to the Xfinity race, and I bought a uh, – Dale Jr. was driving the Hellman's car in the Xfinity series, and I happened to buy one of them. I got back to my room and opened it up. I didn't know it was one of the ones that he had already autographed. So that oh. that, that I found that really special. I thought a big value for $45 to end up with a car with Dale Jr. signing it for a paint scheme for throwback um, for that race, I thought was very, very special. Yeah, that almost sounds like it got mixed in the wrong pile or something yeah, for 45 bucks. <laughs> yeah. That's a good deal. Maybe it did, but I, I, I really appreciated that, that Darlington special. You know, I bought the ticket ahead of time and took my voucher to the track, and they gave me a die cast when I got to the open up. The windshield was already signed, and it came with a certificate of authenticity. Hell yeah. Man. That'll work. Um, hey, maybe the industry was just trying to pay you back for being such a good uh, fan and such a good, uh, I guess, person to to bring bring all of us together. Kind of kind of like you have today. I mean, you were one of the guys that I really wanted to get on here first because I appreciated you in general because you have become a household name between at least me and my dad talking about stuff on, on uh, Sirius XM radio and stuff. So I really appreciate, appreciate you uh, wanting to come on here and accepting the invite and, and doing this uh, fan spotlight. It's been fun. Um, we got a lot of other stuff to unpack though. So I think we've kind of gone through all the questions that, that I've had um, that these guys had. Did you have any questions for us before we move on? Uh, no, I, I don't really have a question, but I did have a statement. Um, 
the only thing I wanted to say was I, I really appreciate you inviting me on. And uh, all I want people to do is um, enjoy the races. Yeah, our sport's not perfect, but I think the challenges and some of the things we've overcome in 2020, 2022, next year, with the new car, new teams and stuff, I just want everybody to just give the sport a chance and just let it yeah. let things play out, you know, before you, you know, have an opinion. We're going to have a new race car next year, new drivers and new spots, and just, just give it some time until they work all the bugs out. That's all. Absolutely. That's a good sentiment to live by for anybody. Uh, and it's also a good sentiment to keep some fans that are – are too hesitant for change, especially on some trivial things like, uh, in my opinion, uh, going to a single lug is not worth dropping a whole sport over. Um, four lugs per tire is just not worth it. And, and that, that change is, is kind of something that you just watch and make make your decision. Then. Don't just give up on something before you moved on. But speaking about moving on, new drivers and new cars and new cars and new stuff, we have a new team. Um, and one that's kind of also disappearing. So, Kevin, I'm going to let you lead off with this, man. Trackhouse bought the CGR NASCAR assets, which means Chip Ganassi Racing will still be in um, Extreme, IMSA, and, of course, IndyCar, which is where he's had his success. Mostly, you know, Scott Dixon with the six uh, uh, championships over there and, and other stuff. But Trackhouse bought both of their charters and all of the assets and equipment that come with it. So what did you think about that today when we found that out? I was surprised at first, but then when I heard Chip and Justin talk, I could understand his meaning. I think he sees Justin as a trailblazer and seeing some of the things that his um, partnership with Pitbull and some of the things down the line, I think, will really benefit the sport as a whole, such as STEM projects and some other things that some of that enthusiasm brings. And I think with Daniel Suarez bringing in a rabbit fan base that enjoys his personality and his and his skills as a driver and knowing that he was with two teams previously, Joe Gibbs Racing and Stuart Haas, for maybe about a year of experience, they really want to see him succeed. And I think Ganassi sees that if he's going to let his team go, he's going to get a, what he's, you know, a good price for it knows it's going to be in good hands with his legacy still. Somebody's going to keep his legacy still around. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys got anything to add to that? You know, I think it's a good idea. Um, a lot of people talk about winners and losers who feels like that. I don't think there is a loser because I think Trackhouse is only going to get better because they've already exceeded pretty much every expectation people had for them this year. And I think Ganassi is going to make good use of the money he got from selling his team because he's still got other series to run, like IndyCar, IMSA, and all that kind of stuff. So I think both sides are probably going to come out of it better than they were now. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, this one just surprised me. I mean, usually you yeah. used to hear a couple rumors about it beforehand. Um, but this just kind of seemed like it was super out of left field. Um, so now I think MJ needs to – one up just marks and go by JGR. <laughs> I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think they'll let him do that, do that five car limit. One thing I did see pointed out on Twitter um, was we've all heard the rumors about NASCAR's performance model uh, with the charters that if you're uh, in the bottom of the points for however many years in a row, they're going to take your charter. Um, I think this is kind of a sign for Rick Ware. Maybe they're playing hardball, of, maybe he's playing hardball of selling his charters off. 
Um, and a lot of the people in the sport know that NASCAR is moving towards taking away one of his charters or two of his charters um, just because of the performance. So I wonder if Rick Ware ain't playing hardball with his and Justin Marks said, all right, well, screw it. I'll just go pay Chip top dollar for his equipment. And then you can just get yours taken away if you don't want to sell it and keep running the bottom four spots every week. Yeah, and um, I saw that he made a statement today that his aren't for sale. So um, I think he's only got one charter that's in that three-year bottom three part of the charter deal. I think it's a 15, maybe the 51 charter. I'm not sure. So he is in jeopardy of losing one, um, but he'll still have those two. I think we saw a domino fall with colleague um, racing coming to cup. Uh, I want to say it was last week, maybe the week before. They bought the track house charter. Um, they bought um, – Another charter from Spire, Spire had, Spire had three, was leasing the one to the 99, and then, you know, they, they had the other one with the 77 and the 7. So now they've only got one, and they're going to be going forward with some car. Well, that really probably put in perspective a lot for what happened behind the scenes is why it had to move so fast, because Justin Marks needed a charter to make money starting next year, and mm -hmm. he didn't have one. So he was like, you know what? You're going to take our charter away? We'll just go buy a whole team. I think that's what happened. And I think it's very good for our sport. Am I going to miss Chip Ganassi? Yes. But he's going to be over there. He's going to have more resources to put towards IndyCar, to put towards uh, IMSA, and then this new startup series with, with Extreme E. So it's going to be beneficial to him because it's one less, quote-unquote, headache to have. Um, that's two less teams that he has to sign payroll for. That's two less teams he has to get sponsorship for. And you've got a bulldog in – Justin Marks, he's a bulldog when it comes to business, and he got football right beside him. So I think there's no way that this team fails, and that can't be anything but good for our sport because we just got two more teams that are playoff eligible um, potentially starting off next year. Yeah, and uh, kind of on the, the theme of charters too, um, we keep hearing rumors about 23XI getting another charter. Um, I don't know at this point where that's going to come from unless they do buy out some other team. Yeah, I would. I think the Rick Ware thing that I heard earlier say about their charters not being for sale that kind of interests me because somebody kind of texted me and suggested, "Hey, maybe maybe they are playing hardball. Maybe they're trying to say they're not for sale until somebody gives them an even better offer." And I think if there's any team that's going to pay top dollar, it's got to be twenty three eleven. So I really, I really don't know who to trust at this point. I'm just going to wait and see. You know, it wouldn't be surprising to me uh, for NASCAR to pull that rug out from under Rick Ware and that one uh, 51 charter and, and just sell it for cheaper because they're going to lose money off of it. Um, if I think I know what I'm talking about with the charter system, I think they're losing money off of it with it not growing as much being on one of those smaller teams and always running back. So if that were to happen, they could easily buy it from NASCAR. 2311 is what I'm saying. And, and with that, I'll, I'll go ahead and start off with Kevin again. Um, two drivers, Ross Chastain and Kurt Busch, have just gotten shaken up. And there's been rumor that, that Kurt Busch is going to go to a second track house car, but also a second 2311 car. Um, so where do these two drivers end up for you, Kevin? I think, I think Kurt might end up at, at 2311. I think they want to bring in a veteran presence for maybe to have to work in hand-in-hand hand bubble and maybe try to get him going a little bit more than what he is right now. And I think, depending on what kind of – and I think the Ross Chastain one is going – I think 
Maybe Justin Marks warned them or not, but I think it's all going to depend on who else is helping find that track house because they might want to bring in somebody they're more liking. I, I don't know. And the only thing I feel real bad for for Ross because he left uh, calling, yeah. but we still don't know what Call is going to do with that second car. They might just bring back a known quantity in Ross Chastain because he does have the favor of Chris Rice yeah. and Matt Carlin. Yeah, that's those are all really good points you make, and I'm I'm curious at this point too because I know Kurt Busch is in rumor for both of them. So I think you know if I'm in charge of things, if I got to pick how everything went, I would like to see Ross Chastain keep his ride at now Trackhouse because I think he's kind of got the bad end of the stick multiple times now. Um, he was with the Ganassi Xfinity program that shut down. He was with Colic. He had to leave that. And now this is the first competitive cup ride he's been in. And now this might be out of his way too now. So I think my wishes are that Kurt Busch can get the 2311 ride and then, and then Chastain can kind of stay where he is because I'd like to see Chastain not have the rug swept out from under him for once. And I'd like to see Kurt Busch in a really good car one more time. So I think that would be like my solution to kind of please both parties. Yeah, I think a a big variable in this is that twenty three eleven charter, um, mm-hmm. because I think if I think ultimately we know that Kurt will be in a car next year, judging by the rumors. Right. Um. So that's going to be the big question, and the big variable is if he decides to go the twenty three eleven route, and they can guarantee him that they're going to find a way to get a charter by next year and lock him into these races, um, I think we will see Kurt leave. However, if it gets to be the end of October, November, and nothing's announced, I think no, Trackhouse has no problem waiting to announce a driver because drivers are a hell of a lot easier to come by than charters are at this day and age. Right. Um, so Trackhouse can easily get a seat filled with a, at least a decent driver for a couple of years um, or however long it takes. Um, and we're also forgetting about guys in the Xfinity series that can be brought up. Yeah. Um, as well as like Matt Kenseth, I still don't think is off the table at all either. Um, so I mean, there's there's plenty of options. Um, ultimately, it'll all, it'll all fall right. Um, but I would hope to see Kurt go to the 2311, and then Ross stay at Trackhouse. Um, but I mean, it's going to be a, <laughs> a fun waiting game. This is one of the craziest silly seasons yeah. that I can remember uh, in the last. And, and we haven't even got to the playoffs yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, usually most of the stuff doesn't get announced until what, like July? I don't know, it's July now, but August probably is usually the time when everything starts to heat up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a it's been a hell of a season, and, and this was just like a wrench thrown into everything because we saw that they were going to have a – excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, we saw that they were going to have a press release today at 2 at like 12 p.m., and so it's just they threw it right on us all today and came around really quickly. So I look forward to seeing what happens, like like we're talking about, with, with Kurt Busch, with Ross Chastain, with that 2311 team that I think everyone wants to do well. New people coming into the sport um, is, is, is always a good thing. So I'm, I'm glad that we've got these two teams expanding. All right, so uh, – Going on on a review of Pocono this weekend, they had five races, the ARCA race, uh, the truck race, two cup races, and a Sunday Xfinity show. Um, so 
we had some thoughts on that last week. Uh, our guest last week, uh, Jared Bakaisa, was there. He he was you know photographing some of the races uh, and and he watched everything unfold Sunday. His his favorite one um, trucks was uh, I I didn't really watch it. Uh, you guys said there wasn't really anything but another truck race. Uh, but Colton, you said that the Xfinity race was one of the best of the weekend. So I uh, kind of want you to go ahead and expand on. Yeah. Um... It, it primarily has to do with the low downforce in the Xfinity cars. You really saw them slide into oh, the yeah. corners. Um, it was super fun to watch those guys try to wheel the cars around. Um, my man Harrison got taken out right after the first stage there. So I was kind of bummed out, but it was still a really, really good race um, in all this weekend. Um, I really thought Ty Gibbs was going to steal it those last couple laps. Cinder got tied up behind a, a lapped car um, just in one corner, and Ty Gibbs was able to make up over a second and a half. And honestly, even if they had another half a lap, I think Gibbs would have gotten it. Um, so a really, really good race. Like I said, it was probably my favorite of the weekend. Um, best is kind of subjective, but it was right. definitely my favorite. But I'd agree with you. Yeah, so uh, just overall, Kevin, uh, we, we talked to our guest last week about it because he was going to be at the event. What do you think of just the doubleheader concept in general? I think it's not bad, but I think it depends on the venue. I think Pocono, with its unique track and the, and the way the infield is set up, I think was really conducive to what was going on this weekend, and they can make it an event with you know everything from going on for things for the kids, grown-ups in general. But uh, I, I don't think it might be inducive at maybe – if they did it, I could see it maybe happen like at a Bristol or something like that, or, or another track. But it has to be track and what's going on inside the infield. Because if you got the camping that's popping and going off and people having fun, that's really going to draw in a lot of people that's going to be able to stay two or three days. Yeah, and that's something that we've talked about on this podcast that uh, we kind of need tracks to do to get guys to come out, you know, uh, just have a big old party, concerts and stuff, kind of like Talladega Boulevard and stuff like that when there's not racing on track. But another way is is, is having all these races on track. Uh, and with that, I do want to get into our Walker Joke segment. So, Kevin, I explained to you before we got onto the recording, um, it's kind of like DBC's spot on, spot off. We're going to say woke if we think it's a good thing or joke if not, and then we'll, we'll go into uh, why we said what we said, um, whether it was woke or joke. Um, and I'll start off. Since we're talking about doubleheaders and stuff, after uh, all the racing was done this weekend, Kyle Busch had a post-race comment Sunday where he said, I think we should do more more doubleheaders, and I don't think we need to go to any track more than once. So, Woker joke, Kevin, on those comments. Uh, I, I guess I'm going to say joke. The reason I say that because some tracks can have a day race versus a night race, so you have different styles of racing depending on the conditions of track and like i said i think it all depends on the track whether who deserves two races or one race because like i said you got a bristol day and a bristol night and that and it can be almost two different types of races especially when you're running one on dirt versus one at night absolutely yeah um i'd probably piggyback off of what kevin said and i would say joke too because I think that there are some tracks in particular that deserve multiple dates just because they're so different. Like um, like Daytona and Talladega, for example, I wouldn't necessarily enjoy the fact that we'd only go from four to two super speedways because they're the only true tracks that are built like that in the world. So 
I think some of those tracks need to stay. I think some tracks, like you said, that are day races and night races, they need to stay. Um, the short tracks like Martinsville, you know, Bristol, Richmond, all those produce good enough racing to, to deserve second dates. And I wouldn't want to see some of those tracks go away. I have been hard on this for a few years. I'm going to go joke, but I see where he's coming from. Um, I think there are five tracks in NASCAR that deserve two dates. Um, I think it's Daytona, Talladega, Bristol, Martinsville, and Darlington. Um, everything else, I mean, I'm not counting the, the Charlotte as two dates because it is the oval and then the road course. Um, and okay. when I say two dates, I mean the same layout. No Daytona road course, anything like that. Right. Um, but I think those five are the only two tracks that we need to race at twice in a year. Um, other than that, um, give them all one date. Give them all double headers, invert the starting field, whatever you want to do to make it exciting. Um, but I, I, I somewhat agree. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm, I'm woke on the double header concept, but I'm joke on no tracks right. named two dates. Kind of like you guys have stated, uh, certain tracks should definitely have multiple dates, but, but a track like Kansas or a Michigan that just lost a date, um, could do what Pocono does and have two, um, Two dates. The only problem with that is the playoff system. I don't think allows for that uh, once we get out of the summer month. So maybe we have a doubleheader summer series or something. So we're running doubleheaders for six weeks in the summer. I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to have to go joke based off the whole quote itself. Yeah. Uh, and we'll move on mm -hmm. to uh, the next one. That is the Saturday Cup race. Uh, it was a pretty decent race. I think uh, these two races were, were the highest on Jeff Gluck's poll. Uh, but on Saturday – it was a last lap pass because Larson lost the race because his left front tire blew. So Woker joked that Larson lost the race on what seems like a mechanical failure. I, I would say Woke because it shows you that despite his driving skills, he's still vulnerable to mechanical that car. I mean, um, I think that I'm glad he wasn't hurt or anything. To provide that much of action, you know, when something like that happens unexpectedly because we didn't know if he was going to just run away with it. And if he had, to me, it, it wouldn't have mattered, but I think it provided some extra challenges for that race when, whoa, you know, that happened. Out the yeah, yeah, I think I kind of split that up too. Um, I think the intrigue of it give me like kind of leads me toward both because I think that, it, it, like you said, it goes to show you that racing's kind of an a game of luck um no matter how skilled you are there's still things that can take you out of it and i do feel bad for him because i think that it's the first time i've ever seen that happen to somebody in the final corner of a race like i've seen guys blow tires with 10 laps to go or whatever but, you know final corner is definitely a new one for me i'm gonna go woke um this kind of thing only happens once every five ten years yeah it's um, crazy the only other time i've seen a guy blow a tire in the last corner of a race was J.R. Hildebrand Indy in 2011. Um, oh, no, he wrecked on his own. <laughs> he wrecked on his own. Yeah, I don't even, yeah, he didn't even blow a tire. He just smeared the wall. Um, yeah, that was, but, that was I, you'll never see that again. <laughs> yeah, this kind of thing is just so rare. It's it's almost cool to see once in a while. Like I said, it's I, the last time I can think of anything even close to this happening outside of uh, fuel mileage races was the first Roval race where Jimmy and Truex got together um, and took themselves out in the last corner, and my guy Blaney got the win. Um, this is a woke finish for me. It turned it into a better race. 
because um, overall I'd probably give both races a joke. Yeah. Oh wow! Um, well, that'll be up yeah. in a couple of questions, so we'll 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 uh, go yeah. we'll go through your ideas on that later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, I'll say woke. Uh, like you guys have said, um, we come to NASCAR for good racing. Uh, we stay for the spectacle of it, and this is one of those things that just happens rarely, like you guys have said, and. It was just something that you don't see, and the, it was just so crazy because you knew Larson had so long tried to get around uh, Alex Bowman there at the end, and then for all that just work he had done yeah. to just go up and you know just in sparks and slam into a wall, it was it was really crazy. It was very entertaining. Um, if I was a five fan, I'd probably be sad about it, but I, I thought it was really awesome to watch and. Uh, Proved to me that that 48 is not one to sleep on going into the playoffs. Um, with that being said, though, Sunday we had another race at Pocono. We had the doubleheader again. Uh, this one was 10 laps longer, and that proved to be a challenge uh, because of some, some interesting things that happened in Stage 3, and it led to not one uh, but two guys in – William Byron and Denny Hamlin running out of fuel. So woke or joke on those guys running out of fuel? I think it woke because I think I'm not a fuel mob guy, but I think in this case at Pocono, I think it added to the drama in that race, given the fact, you know, that Kyle Busch was having problems with his transmission because as the, as the broadcaster was saying, you know, if those other guys are low on fuel, it'll just cycle on down because, I mean, if people had ran out of fuel, there could have been a chance of even Harvick or even Bubba, you know, squeaking out of wind. So I think it added to the intrigue of that race. I don't want to see it all the time, but right. it was kind of different this time. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with what Kevin said. I think it's a woke because there's a lot of times where you don't really get fuel mileage racing anymore. And I like seeing it once every now and then because when you do get a good fuel mileage race, it's really – interesting to watch it all play out because you know you're sitting on the couch and i just remember talking to my dad and saying you know who do you think's gonna win this race and i remember telling him you know kyle bush he came in one lap later than the top three guys you know he topped off when everybody else stayed out so i was thinking that you know if anyone was in the best position to win that race it was him and sure enough it's cool to just watch everything play out because there's so much things that go into field mod racing uh i am woke for the finish I am joke for the results. Um, woke for the finish because I am a fuel mileage guy. I like to see two or three right. races a year. Um, especially, I can't think of a, a, a good one in the last 10 years where the top five or six guys were all super close on fuel. Usually mm -hmm. there's one guy that's at least five laps or so off on strategy. And you know, hey, this guy in fourth can make it if the first three run out. Um, but man, as soon as they took the two to go, they were just dropping like flies right out of the top yep. five. That was super cool to see Kyle get it done. However, I'm joking for the result because I wish Kyle wouldn't have saved quite as much fuel if he didn't. He had that one extra lap. So second, yeah, <laughs> like I blame him to finish second or third, um, and I wouldn't have gotten just one point this weekend. <laughs> oh man! So. You can't you can't let fan fuel pits ruin ruin your uh, your day on on Sundays, hey, man. Come on, competitive man. I hate losing more. Yeah, I, I understand yeah. where you're coming from. <laughs> I can say that though because I won this weekend. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, for for 
the fact that it was a fuel mileage race, that's awoke for me. I love strategy racing. Um, I've said it many a times on here. I've said it many a times on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, wherever. I hate stage racing because it doesn't allow me to see strategy racing like we saw on Sunday. I love it when it comes down to the wire and it comes down to that miscalculation or a couple seconds of that fuel can not being into uh, the car long enough and, and somebody runs out on the last lap or with five to go, seven to go, like with Byron's case. Um, it's really cool to see. Uh, like Colton said, we hadn't seen one in quite some time. I think the Kurt Busch 500 win is the last good uh, fuel mileage race, ironically, on a super speedway uh, that we uh, have seen. And, and I remember one of the most classic races for me was that Coke 600 that Dale Jr. lost by a quarter of a lap, you know, at Charlotte. He's coming off. He's got the white flag. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Harvick just blows by him because he's out of gas. That happens in racing sometimes. I enjoy watching it. When it happens, it makes my day. So I love that race. Woke on the finish. <clears throat> Some other stuff happened Sunday, though, and that was the 20 car seemed to be a punching bag for a couple of laps right there in the middle of the race. Uh, or I guess it was right there at the beginning of the race. So my bad. So um, he goes into turn three. He comes out sideways uh, because the 42 bumps into him. The next lap, he goes into turn three, comes out sideways, and with a crushed quarter panel because the nine ran into him. So work a joke on uh, the 20s look on turn three at the start of that race Sunday. Um, I guess I'm going to have to say joke. I mean – I think he's doing the best he can, but I think he's not really an aggressive driver, I, I would say per se, but I just think sometimes people might take advantage of him because of his age, and I think a lot of times he catches it because he has so much expectations on him. You know, he won the one race this year, but I think people want to see more of him given the fact that, you know, that somebody that really people really love, Derek Jones, you know, had that car last year, and I think you still got a left a lot of leftover people that are, that that are you know kind of upset behind that that golden child Toyota. But I mean, I, I give him some time to season. I think another year behind the belt, behind the steering wheel, I think will give him a little bit more experience. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree where you're coming from. Um, I, I think it's definitely a joke because. Sometimes those things happen in racing. Like I don't think he really did anything wrong in either of those cases. He just was at the wrong place at the wrong time. So I think that it's just one of those days, I guess, where you know I, I don't know how to I don't know how to put it into words that well. But everyone has those kind of days where you're just doing everything right and it doesn't work in your favor. Yeah, sometimes you're the fly swatter, and sometimes you're the fly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go woke on his luck because we don't see all the times during the races that maybe he lets people in line um, or he lets someone buy super easy or he lets someone cut them off. Um, I think it's a product of your luck on the track. Um, and I think this is just the time where his luck ran out twice with two drivers. And those guys probably knew that Bill was either going to give him the line or he was just going to move up for him. Um because, I mean, NASCAR drivers are smart. They race with the same guys every week, 36 times a year, plus two extra non-points races. Um, we don't see guys like Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch getting run over all the time like this. Um, and it's because they they fight hard for their positions, every single one of them. Um, and so I think this is just a product of maybe Bell's racing. Um, granted, he does come from more of an open-wheel background where you can't contact at all without right. sending one car flipping. Um but I think he definitely needs to be more aggressive and this kind of stuff won't happen to him. 
Yeah, I can agree with that. He needs to learn he's got fenders over his tires, and uh, especially next year with the uh, uh, composite bodies, it's going to be much more forgiving than beating Bane, which is something I'm looking forward to. But I'm going to have to go woke because uh, Christopher Bell, welcome to Thunderdome. You are in the JGR 20 car. You have to perform. You have two years or you're out because you know what we do in, in Thunderdome? We, unless your name's Matt Kenseth, we don't give you good cars. And we put you on high expectations. So you better win a hell of a lot of races or you're going to be gone in two years, just like Eric Jones was, or three or four years like Joe Logano was. And so I hope it's his home. I love Seabell. I think he's a super talented dude, but he has got to perform. You know, I think one thing I will add on, though, about the aggression, I do think that the second time that it happened to him with Chase Elliott, that didn't seem intentional to me. I think. The reason, you know, guys want to run on the outside because they want to get to your quarter panel and they want the momentum off the corner. And I think Elliot just slipped up, you know, and that was just that was just unfortunate. I don't really know what either of those guys could have done to fix that. Yeah. Hell yeah. First one to tweet or comment, welcome to Thunderdome wins a giveaway. Oh, you you like that line, huh? <laughs> yeah. All right, so with all that being said, um, it's time to hear from Colton, but Kevin, you'll go first. Woke or joke on two races at Pocono in the same weekend, 650 miles worth of racing. Was the racing quality woke or was it joke? I think it was woke because I think each race was different than the, than the last race. I think that given the fact is you, you pretty much got the value for your more bang for the buck. I mean, three days of racing. Um, looked like the fans had a lot of access to the drivers on the way to their cars. I could see all the, the video from the fence where they were signing autographs. I think that meant a lot to fans that have been locked up pretty much for most of the year to actually have interaction with their favorite drivers. And I think that really added to the, the broadcast, just the fullness of the grandstands, the, the people sitting on top of their campers. It just was a to me, it was a, a destination for me. It, it looked like something I'd want to buy a ticket to. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you on that. Um, from from like an attendance standpoint, I definitely think it deserves a vote because if I was up in Pennsylvania at this particular time, I would have definitely bought a ticket because I don't think you could beat the value for going to all those races and being able to do things like you said for you know a much better bang for your buck than you would at a normal race where you just you know, you go maybe one day or you go all three days. But I think this is one of the first times where you've had four races in two days. And I think it's only going to get better in the future if they decide to do more of these. So I'm I'm all for these. Yeah. So with the weekend, I'm going to go woke. Um, because right. I think this is a great scheduling opportunity. Um, as a fan, personally, if they keep this going for a couple more years, this is going to be on my bucket list of things to go do. Um, I'm going to yeah. want to go out and I'm going to want to camp for four or five days. Um, I'm definitely going to go want to see all these races and I'm sure there's a huge party going on in the infield. And I'm all about that. Um, so I'd really like to go see it. However, the package. Oh yeah. Made at least Saturday, a joke. Um, Sunday, mm -hmm. I'll give a pass because it was a fuel mileage race. We don't see those a ton. Um, but I mean, had we not been in the 550 package, a Larson wouldn't have used his stuff up enough to blow a tire. Um, and B, he wouldn't have spent 12 laps right behind Alex Bowman. I mean, we saw it all day on both days. You can't pass unless you get a hell of a run off the corner 
um, and can really dive bomb it into one or into three um, or move them out of the way in the tunnel. Um, for me, the package really takes away a lot of the uh, mystique and a lot of the excitement that Pocono used to have. Um, granted, I, like I said, I'll give the Sunday race pass, um, but for Saturday, definitely a joke. Um, quit using this 550 big blade package at Pocono. Um, give them it, or, and maybe we need to try 550 with just a little spoiler. Um, just take away some of the downforce on these guys and let them slip and slide around like the Xfinity race was. Yeah, I think yeah, you I mean, well. yeah. Before before I go into my worker joke, I want I do want to comment on this because I think they're talking about saving money and they're talking about manufacturers and stuff. Having two different engine programs means that you're gonna have to spend more money because you're developing two engine programs. So I don't get it. I'd rather have seen the 750 package. You saw what it did Sunday morning, like you talked about earlier uh, with the Xfinity cars, the higher horsepower, the lower downforce, put on a great race. Um, as far as this weekend's racing, I'm going to say 100% woke. Um, I know that kind of goes against the exact statement that I just made, but these races were fun. They had a lot of strategy in them, and I think the only reason they were fun <clears throat> is because NASCAR didn't do the 25, 25, 50 stages. They did a really short first stage for both of them, and it made for fuel mileage racing in stages two and three. And so we saw different strategies for pitting early or late or or splitting the middle of each of stage two and three on Saturday and Sunday. And that's the only reason that I think this race was good each day. And I I, <clears throat> I don't think that if it was a 400-mile Pocono event, like we've seen with this package in the past few years, I would have had fun with it. So I appreciate NASCAR for, for divvying up the stages like they did. Um, because I, I feel like that's the only reason it was it was any good. <clears throat> yeah, and, yeah, and I think you guys said it really well. I'm still hesitant to call it a really good race, um, just because knowing NASCAR these last few years, knowing the Steves, um, they're gonna say, "Wow, that was a great race. We definitely need to use this 550 package everywhere," instead of looking at it objectively and seeing the circumstances around it. Um, you know, just kind of like with the numbers, we saw a. You know, halfway decent all-star race last year at Bristol. And now they're already talking about, yes, numbers are a success. We're going to move them. We're going to do all this. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like here, like that, that's kind of where, more so where I'm at is I'm really hesitant to go out and say these are great races just because I feel like that adds more fuel to the fire for this super high downforce package. And they're going to try to replicate that every single track we go to. You know, that's a good point. Um, I was kind of, I didn't want to like come out and say that immediately because I thought the finish was really cool, but I think... I do see your point on Saturday because, you know, that's probably my only gripe with the entire weekend is that I think the package kind of takes it away from the trailing driver, um, especially at a track where there's not a lot of room to move around like Pocono. Um, if, say, if the, if the traction compound's a preferred groove, all the guy in front has to do is just move up there and make the guy take the bottom because they're going to have to choose from either A, getting behind somebody in dirty air, you're going to lose the nose, you're going to torch your front tires, or you have to go with option B and take the less preferred line and not get as good of a run off the corner. So I think that I'm all for guys having to work to pass the car in front of them. But I do think at some point it takes some of the skill out of defending position because I think it, it pretty much makes it a lot easier for the guy in front to hold somebody off. Well, uh, I just had this thought come to my mind when you guys were talking about the package and the super high downforce and stuff like this. So maybe, um, Kevin, you'll you'll remember this race. Uh, 
But remember Michigan uh, when they tried, I think it was 2014 to 2015, when they tried the super high downforce and oh, the yeah. super – I mean, we were still having the, the 750 and, and previous to that, the, uh, the 850 horsepower packages. I mean, I mean, how did we go through those races seeing how absolutely crappy they were because dirty air didn't let people pass? How do we end up here and, and still going down this road? That's what makes me curious. I think a lot of it has to do with some of the post-race comments by some drivers. I mean, if you got a, a Brad Kislowski or a or Kyle Busch, you know, those guys have a lot of sway when they say certain things after a race. If they feel a package is not good, I think NASCAR will try to please some of those drivers knowing that those guys have a big fan base and hoping maybe things will play out, but sometimes it doesn't go their way. And I think a lot of times when you try to please a certain fan base, you end up throwing a whole lot of ideas in the bag, shaking it up and just hoping for the best. I mean, a lot of those packages, depending on the weather, some packages react better to cooler weather. And I just think with some of these different areas, you know, the weather and temperature can, can change a degree off or degree good can change the whole aspect of it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what Colton was alluding to with this package yeah. on, on Saturday, Saturday versus Sunday. I mean, it's—I don't want to say they're, they're they failed upwards because we did have a good race with this package, but you can make a good race out of any package because we have the best stock car drivers in the world. But to make a race good with cars that act like slot cars and don't have the momentum coming out of a corner or are easily catchable in the corner, it's a lot more difficult than to have one where the drivers have to showcase their talent. And I think it comes down to that uh, personally. And I think that's kind of what um, maybe Colton was alluding to uh, with yeah. with the Saturday versus the Sunday races. Yeah, I think that was interesting. I think it went to show you that that's just how it works these days. And you saw Alex Bowman was kind of a you know, I wasn't necessarily had a laser focus on him because I was watching more what the battle for was going on and watching my driver. But it looked like, for the most part, he didn't necessarily have a winning car. And when he took the lead, it seemed like he was almost effortlessly able to hold that up until Larson got a really good run up off of turn one that one particular lap. So I think that, as you guys said, the more you put it in the driver's hands, the more you're not going to have these problems. Yeah. yeah. Um, Moving on with the Walker joke, we got a couple more left. Um, this is kind of moving on to Road America, but prior to that, the Summer Series um, used to be a bunch of these, I guess, Midwestern, Northeastern tracks where we were going to IndyCar-style super speedways. We had two Pocono races, two Michigan races, of course, the Brickyard 400, um, and we moved that, I guess, traditional trajectory of, of this area of the schedule, the June and July kind of Pocono to Pocono. Um, set to a bunch of road courses. So I want to start off with you, Kevin. Um, has this, I guess, moved towards road courses for this summer series, this race to the chase um, sort of spot in the schedule? Is that woke or joke for you? I think to me right now, I want to see how it plays out. But right now, I guess it's a joke because I think some of these tracks are going to favor certain types of drivers. So you might not get a mix-up in the standards that you would like to have when you got so many drivers that are not really that good at road courses because a lot of it had to go with a lot of the fans wanting something different 
wanting more road courses. Well, now they got them. Now, whether this number of almost seven this year is going to prove to be the downfall of certain drivers that they would like to see in the standings that is yet to be seen. But um, I'll I'll give it a chance because, like I said, 2021 has just been a year of different different things going on in the sport. But right now, I, I hope it's just not too many of them. People just get tired of them. Yeah, I think that's a great point you made in the last part about people getting tired of them because um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I think I'm going to have to go um, joke for now. Um, I don't mind the road courses themselves because I think that over time you're going to see drivers that maybe didn't grow up road racing get better on the road courses because there's more of them. But I think that he's absolutely right in the fact that people originally wanted them because they were a novelty because I think you know, up until that Watkins Glen 2012 finish, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't as much hype around the road courses, I remember, up until that happened. And now, now you've got people clamoring for them. And I think that, I think people are going to, they're going to go back to kind of getting tired of them because what was once a novelty is now going to be pretty much commonplace. And people are going to be like, oh, NASCAR is trying to imitate IMSA or IndyCar any other road racing series. Uh, I guess you there, Cole? Mic phone here. All right, well, uh, while Colton's figuring that out, I'll go ahead and say, uh, for me, this is a joke. Um, I tend to like the summer series, that Pocono to Pocono stretch. Yeah, putting the doubleheader up is something new, but I love Michigan. Um, racing there two times in, in conjunction, just like Pocono. A lot of fans thought that was too much. Uh, I love unique racetracks, and that's what this part of the schedule was for. You know, um, at this point, we'd have we'd have you know just uh, made it through uh, our first Dover, uh, then gone to Sonoma, and then started Pocono, Michigan, and then you know Indianapolis, all the way down to Watkins Glen, and, you know Pocono and Michigan again, <clears throat> and. Not saying that for nostalgia's sake, I miss that, but for nostalgia's sake, I kind of miss that. Um, I don't mind, like you guys have said, seven road courses on the schedule. Um, I think seven's a little too much. Maybe five would be yeah. the number for me. Um, but we're, we've gotten away from tradition a little bit too much with mm -hmm. um, the removal of the Brickyard 400, and now we only have one Michigan and one Pocono weekend. So we've removed two of those really high-speed, really different tracks. Um, that used to be really important to someone getting into the chase or uh, prior to the chase, you know, having a good year. You, you had to go for those Auto Club Michigan-style racetracks because, you know, we had four to five of them on the, on the schedule. Um, and now we, we were down to just two Poconos in Michigan. I know Auto Club is based on COVID, but we're about to eliminate it for a short track. So, I love the big tracks. I've said it before on here, so that may – I mean, I, I like road courses. I think we have too many, so I'd rather be doing the traditional um, uh, northeast and midwest uh, big track route. Uh, so joke for me. Colton? Yeah. Sorry, that was weird. Um, uh, I'm on the fence. Um, to the other points, I'd like to see how these next few races play out. Um, I am going to kind of go joke just because the traditional standpoint, like Alex said, um, but I'm not, not too hesitant to go woke. 
so long as we don't over bombard the rest of the scheduled road courses and we just kind of keep right. them all in this little summer series here. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would be fine if we just ran five, six road courses um, from June 1st to August 31st um, and then kind of went from there. Um, but I, I, I will miss, I mean, this was, to Alex's point, a bulk of the, the real kind of wild cards and where you'd see guys make their championship runs. Um, fuel mileage season. Be filled with fuel <laughs> yeah. mileage races. Um, this used to be kind of Carl Edwards' time to really go out and dominate. Um, we used to see him win, you know, three, four races just during the summer. Um, so, I mean, I am going to miss that aspect of it, but as long as the road courses can produce good racing, I wouldn't mind seeing just a summer filled with road courses every other week and then tie it back into the traditional uh, schedule of the last few races of the year. Absolutely. Um, I think with that, uh, we've got uh, July 4th this weekend, and traditionally it had been the Firecracker 400 and Daytona It moved um, to the Brickyard for a couple of years there. Um, but now it's at Road America, so when you think of the, I guess, 4th of July weekend, do you think of Woke or Woke or Joke? Do you think of Road America? Well, this was very hard for me. I'm so used to being a, a old track, but um, I'm going to say Woke because America, so the hype I think is real. Crowds are real big, so I think it's going to be a, a good product for some of it being there. But uh, maybe try for this year. Schedule still up in the air, so I'll give it a shot. Because so much is different about this year with the Olympic break. Yeah, um, I think for me as a Florida person and somebody who grew up going to the Firecracker 400, I think that part of me wants to say joke because I think that having Daytona move to August is going to hurt a lot of their attendance and all that kind of stuff because that's right in the season where my college starts back up again, um, where everybody else's school kind of starts up again. Kind of, It kind of takes away from that a little bit because, you know, 4th of July, most people are at a beach. Um, it's a really good idea to bring extra people in. But I do like Road America. I'll probably be at this race next year because my dad and I were looking for a new thing to do in the 4th of July because the 400 is now kind of literally in the first week of college for me for the next, you know, four years. So it's going to kind of throw a wrench into everything. So I think Road America is one of my favorite road courses in the entire country. So I'm willing to give it a chance because I'll more often, more likely than not be there next year. Um, the traditionalist in me wants to go joke um, just because when I think 4th of July I think Nathan's hot dog eating contest I think fireworks um, I think super hot weather and I think watching the Daytona races um, on that weekend um, I mean it was just a tradition for my whole life um, however mm-hmm. I will go woke just because we don't know the atmosphere that Road America is going to bring um, maybe this kicks off a new tradition um, to where every year we can know that all right, Road America is 4th of July weekend. Um, and it's better that they're going to go to Road America rather than any other track on the circuit, I guess, if they have to replace the yeah. because it's got America in the name. I mean, that's that's fitting for 4th of yeah. July weekend. I didn't yeah, I'm, think actually, about it like I'm actually excited for it. Um, you know, if Daytona can have it, I'd love to see them have it because 
everyone always says really good things about going to the track and hopefully I get to find out next year. Yeah. Um, so I said earlier when we were talking about custom schedules and stuff like that, I wanted it to be at Nashville Fairgrounds for the July 4th and we're not going to get that for at least a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So if we can make this a tradition now and it sticks, I think that's okay. I, I'm going to go woke for this because I've heard nothing but good things about that area and those fans and that facility. So I think it'll be a, a, a new, I guess, experience just for all of us, you know, like, I mean, even Ke like Kevin said, uh, to watch on TV, just a new tradition. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe when the 4th of July is a night race, people are missing their local community's fireworks, uh, you know, show. I, I don't know. Um, that could be a possibility. So now it's during the middle of the day. We can go outside, we can grill, we can do hot dogs, hamburgers, uh, whatever else you grill, because um, we don't do that at our house anymore because we do Mexican food. And so, um, uh, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like a good tradition to me. It's a road course, it's different. It's going to bring in something really interesting. And I'll have to go get me some cheese curds to celebrate the fourth this, week, uh, yeah, yeah. this weekend. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> you already know that if I'm up there next year, I'm probably going to gain some weight. Jesus. Um, well, uh, one more thing, and this is another bit of breaking news from today. I don't know if, if Kevin or Nathan or Colton has seen this, but I saw on Twitter today that we um, are going to be slowing down the Xfinity cars at the plate tracks, just like they are for the cup cars. So, uh, woke or joke, we're, we're making the Xfinity pack slower as well. I, I guess I'm going to say woke, um, because I, I, I don't have a, I don't have a speedometer on me. I can't really tell how fast the cars are going in any given moment. And we're in the era of trying to get more safety and more horrific accidents out of the I guess out of the program as much as possible. I mean, you can't help anything at a super speedway because things happen so fast. So, um, you know, I, to me, I, I can't really tell the difference unless I'm out there at the track or, 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 you know, seeing on my phone the actual thing going on. So, you know, unless I'm there or, 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 or having all those things on hand, I really couldn't tell the difference between how much miles per hour they're going anywhere. Yeah, um, I think I'm going to have to be confused on this one. Like, part of me wants to say one, part of me wants to say the other. So, I think for – I'm not really – like, I'm kind of woke for the speed thing because I don't, I don't think it makes that much of a difference in person, um, three or four miles per hour. But I do think the one thing that kind of does frustrate me is the fact that every now and then you see this happen, and it never seems to prevent flips from happening, you know? Every few years, they'll slow the cars down or they'll change this or things that. At the end of the day – Cars are always going to flip. Um, I don't think, you know, I've seen a lot of studies on it. And I've talked about people, and I think that unless you slow the cars down like 50 miles an hour, there's always going to be a possibility of cars blowing over. So I think that the speed isn't going to make a difference for me, but at the same time, I don't really know how much of it's going to change the safety nature of it. Yeah, I see both points. Um, we've seen it in the past where they try to slow the cars down and I mean, as long as you're going 150, 160, 180 miles an hour um, and you get hit while you're turning, uh, we're still going to see flips. I mean, we see them at tracks that aren't super speedways. Um, you know, we saw, I mean, it, we've seen it at Rockingham before where a car hits the wall at a weird angle. Um, Carl Long, 2004, and he rolled down the backstretch. We've seen it at Dover. We've seen it at Bristol. Um, 
we, we see it all over the place. As long as you're going fast, you're still going to flip. Um, but to Kevin's point, I mean, unless they slow the cars down by 60 miles an hour, we're not really going to tell the difference, especially at the big tracks like Daytona, Talladega. Um, they're still going to be hauling absolute ass throughout the entire track. They're still going to be going wide open. Um, I don't think it's going to affect the racing that much. Um, but to the point, I don't think it's going to give them the result that they necessarily desire out of the change. Well, I'm going to have to go woke. Uh, I know Kevin said that, you know, we don't use speedometers at, um, at these tracks, so it's not like it matters. Uh, but for me, don't hate what I'm about to say, but Xfinity racing on super speedway sucks in my opinion. It is the worst of the three series when it comes to speedway racing. I would much rather watch a truck race and definitely a cup race with the current package. Who knows what they're going to do with the uh, reformed package going into um, this August Daytona race. But <clears throat> Right, I agree. If it, if it can make the racing better, I'm all for it. Because you know, lately, uh, ever since they, they put a little bit more downforce on these cars, after I want to say it was the 2016 season where they had the really, really short-rounded um, spoiler on them, it was... I mean, it's been pretty generic, boring speed yeah, racing. I think. So, yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think the problem is, you know, you remember the early days of the Gen Six when they had this small spoiler on the back, and I know Dale Jr. talks about the beach ball effect all the time on the broadcast, and that's where when you get close to another car, there's not really, uh, it's not really punching that big of a hole in the air. So when you get up to that car's bumper, it's almost just going to push them forward like an accordion. So I think. The reason Cup has had such good racing lately is because they have a bigger spoiler. They punch a much bigger hole in the air, so it's easier to pull up behind a car and not just push them forward. Like you're able to burst through that bubble, and I think what the small spoiler Xfinity has, it's hard to burst through that bubble because there's, you know, all of that air is still getting onto your car. You know, their spoiler isn't that big. There's no way for a driver to really break through that effect. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm worried about. Um, I wish they'd let them bump draft, but... Yeah, I, I hope they do, too. Well, it's been a really good conversation uh, with Kevin from Virginia tonight. Um, I really enjoyed having you on. I really appreciate you, you, you coming uh, tonight. I know you, you had to work around your schedule a little bit to be on with us. Um, really good look into who you are uh, tonight. I thought there was a really good conversation between the two of us <clears throat> during your spotlight, as well as the the four of us over the last, uh, I guess, 45 or so minutes talking about uh, the weekend and stuff like that. Really appreciate you coming on. I think we're all really looking forward to this weekend at Road America. Uh, so uh, I guess want to leave with any final thoughts or um, any um, – jeez, uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, any, I guess, of your links to, to Twitter or anything that you want to shout out to? And I just want to give a shout out to all the fans. You know, I know it's been a year fans financially and things like that. But um, I just want to wish everybody a happy race day for the weekend coming up, and and just enjoy yourself. And if you can't get to a track, you know, if you can't go to the track, watch it. If you can't watch it, listen to it on XM or wherever your local station is, and just try to um, enjoy yourself as you can as as things improve and tracks open up. All right, Nathan, Colton, y'all got anything? I know Colton always has something for us. Yeah, so this week's a little weird. Um, I just moved into a new house, so I do not have any of my giveaway stuff on hand. 
Um, so I'm just going to go off the first giveaway that we did earlier. Um, tweet at me, uh, welcome to the Thunderdome, <laughs> and uh, I'll find something <laughs> to give away to you. Um, Kevin from Virginia, I love having you on, man. we got to try to get you back at some point. Um, it was really cool to hear things from a different point of view. Um, appreciate you, you getting on. Yeah. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely keep in touch. Um, we've got plenty of open uh, <laughs> spots coming forward. Um, we like like Colton said, we'd love to have you back on. Uh, you are uh, a voice that most of us <clears throat> listen to. So uh, on the radio, we really enjoyed having this conversation, man. I I, uh, I really appreciate you being on here. Uh, like I've said enough, uh, didn't want to uh, shout out to uh, Dakota Rutledge. He uh, commented a little bit earlier. Uh, I love Kevin. Uh, he is uh, the co-host of the Chairgating Podcast. They are live right now, I do believe, um, elsewhere. So if you're listening or watching uh, on Twitter Live with us right now, go ahead and uh, once we get done here, go hop on their stream. Uh, we appreciate them. Uh, Rattlesnake's been uh, helping us out, uh, trying to figure out this whole live streaming deal, and uh, appreciate him. Um, other than that, thanks again, Kevin, uh, Nathan, Colton. Been a good stream. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching or listening uh, when we get this out tomorrow on our audio only. Uh, you know where to follow us. Uh, it's at Fanfield Podcast One. That's capital F, capital F, capital P. Tagging one on the end, and that's on Twitter. And then you can listen to us to Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and every uh, anywhere else you uh, have your uh, podcast recordings. As always, uh, thanks and bye. All right, bye.